Good morning, everybody. How are you? That's great. Yeah. Well, that's all I needed to say. It's a good message. Have, have a great day. Uh, no, it's good to see everybody. Um, I have the opportunity to uh, continue on in this series that Janelle started last week where she opened up the idea of the end game. You guys, have you seen and heard about that? And our heart for this series, we felt the Lord put on our heart to talk about this because there's so many unknowns and so many things going on in our world. And we thought, man, let's just at least talk about the subject. We're going to be going into some of the parables that Jesus mentioned. So we're going to look at those things as well. And, uh, and it's, it's the, the idea of it is that we would have God's perspective of these times. If, if, you, if, if that makes sense. So. But before I do, I had a couple of stories I needed to share with you, a couple of true stories that happened to me this couple of, about the last week. Why are you guys laughing? DJ had mentioned about the alms, and that ministry is really a sweet ministry. And uh, I was meeting with a young gentleman the other day in my office. He'd come in to talk. And af- after we talked, I said, is there anything I can pray for you for? He said, yeah, man, if you, if you could pray for my hearing. I said, of course, and I stood up, I kind of walked across, I put both my hands on his ears, and I started praying for him. It was really a powerful moment, and I just kind of stopped, and I stepped back, and I said, how's your hearing now, man? And he goes, to be honest with you, Rob, I have no idea, my hearing's next Tuesday at the courthouse. (laughs) Totally screwed that one up. I, I think the moral of the story... Pay attention to the details. Should I ask more questions? I said, why didn't you tell me that in the middle of my prayer? Get out of my office. No, I did, I did say that. Uh, but it was great. And then I have another, this is a true story, and I'm going to read it to you. A friend of mine sent this to me, and I thought I would read it to you, and the context of it is being lost, because what I'm going to be sharing with you today is about lost love. So here goes the story, and this is true, I'm not kidding you. I'm not crossing my fingers either. As a singer, I sing at many funerals, and I was recently asked by a funeral director to sing at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper cemetery just outside of a city in Indiana. He had, oh, excuse me, in Indiana, excuse me. As I was not familiar with the area, I got lost. Everyone that knows me knows I'm directionally challenged, and the further I drove, the signal for my navigation weakened and eventually dropped off completely. I hate Sprint. Anyways, I finally arrived an hour late and saw that the funeral guy had evidently gone. The hearse was nowhere to be seen. There were only the diggers and the crew left, and they were eating lunch. I felt bad, and I apologized to the men for being so late, and I walked over to the side of the grave and I looked down, the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I started to sing. The workers put down their lunches, they began to gather around. I sang my heart and soul out for this man with no family and no friends. As I sang Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace, the Spirit of God began to move and the workers began to weep. They wept, I wept, we all wept together. When I finished praying a benediction and I started for my car, my head was hung low, but my heart was so full. As I opened the door to my car, I overheard one of the workers say, I have never seen anything like that in my entire life. 
and I've been putting in septic tanks for over 20 years. She went to the wrong place. She got lost. <laughs> See you imagine? Amazing grace. <laughs> Weeping. Oh, so anyway, I better get into the message. Uh, that's a funny story, man. I started belly laughing when I heard that. See her walking around. <laughs> the workers eating their lunches. <laughs> But I want, to, I want to share with you, the reason I shared that is because it's about being lost, and I think it's easy for us to find ourselves lost in these days. You know what I mean? In our hearts, in our connection with the Lord, maybe with, with others. And uh, I thought when Janelle opened this up last week, she did such an awesome job, and one of the things she said was it's really ultimately about our heart. And then she read from Proverbs 4, verse 23, where it says, watch over your heart with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. So I I would say, as I've read through the uh, parables, and I would encourage you each to do that and think about these things, the one thing I cannot escape is that it's always about the heart. It's about the heart. There's all these things, but it's about the heart. And I, I I've recently have been just really taking that more serious and thinking about where my heart is and what's been going on because I believe if we have that, the right perspective, and what I'm gonna share about today, I'm gonna to read from the prodigal son, that parable. If we have the father's perspective, his heart for us, that changes everything and it allows us to, to be able to have the right perspective. Now, the heart is an interesting thing in Scripture. If you study it, um, you'll find many different things. But essentially, here's what I found. The heart is related to the mind. Some say it's even connected to the soul and the emotional part, which I believe it is. It's referred to as the will, your chooser, your ability to choose. But ultimately, it's the innermost part of us, the innermost part, which is connected to our mind. Now, I, I wrote on here, uh, you guys can, I hope you can see that. This, uh, what, what I'm going to read to you here, this four parts of the heart is something I learned from a ministry called HeartSync. And the ministry is really powerful. It helps us to understand how to synchronize our broken parts of our heart to the Father, to the Lord, to synchronize it because there's broken parts of our heart. So when you see these parts, what we're talking about is allowing God into those parts to, uh, love you, sweetie. I love seeing my sweet wife smile at me when I teach. It's fun. Um, I, uh, man, I got confused. I had a moment of passion there. Woo. Oh, man. Uh, but the four parts of the heart. So when I'm talking about this, I'm not going to have time to go into this in much detail because there's so much to this, maybe in another message. But um, that's what we're talking about, getting those parts of our heart synchronized with the love of the Father. And uh, so the first part is the original self. This is the part that God created us with the original part of our heart. And it's the essence of self, and it has the capacity to connect with God, the, most, the, the, the largest capacity to actually connect with him. Then the second part is the function. This is the part of the heart that performs the daily functioning of life. This part often stays, and this is important, disconnected from painful memories. It's a part of our heart that stays disconnected. 
And the amazing thing about this, man, is the Lord made us this way, made our hearts this way. The third part is the guardian part. It's the part of our heart that believes the emotion and the function parts of our heart should be separated, should not be together, because that part of our heart believes the function can become overwhelmed with so much. This is where a lot of disconnect, in my experience, uh, in counseling and stuff happens. People's hearts have a, a guardian part to it that the Lord gave us, and they won't open that up. Many of us, even when I say, and I'm going to get into connecting with our Father, we have a hard time doing that, don't we? Because maybe our fathers on earth, our biological dads, were not very kind or loving, maybe even abusive. So there's a disconnect. And this is, what I'm saying is, this is one of the parts of the heart that if we give God permission to open, if we stay I'm willing to open that up. We give God permission and we open that up. Amazing things happen in our hearts. And the first thing is to be connected back to him, if that makes sense. Then the last part is the emotion part. It's the part of our heart connected to pain, trauma, and unresolved emotional issues. So these four parts are very important. And so when I mention and talk about the heart, that's what I'm referring to. And really my main point today, if you were to look at it all, is as we consider where we are right now in space and time, where is my heart? And do I know my father's heart for me? That's where the disconnect comes for me a lot. I don't recognize his heart for me. And I'm, I'm, I believe that if we have that right, if we deviate and we get disconnected, we get confused, but we can get synchronized back to that part, that gives us the, the right perspective of the end times, right? In the end game. We win, ultimately. God wins, he's, but he, he's speaking to us, I believe, right here and now, where's your heart? Is it hard? Has it been disconnected? You know, sometimes I was praying about this last night. Some of us, have you ever heard of an inner vow? Some of you have heard of inner vows. You know what that is? I, I believe essentially that it's when we say, I will never do that. I'll never be like my dad. I'll never do that. And you know what happens? We become that very thing in many ways. And we harden our heart and we shut it down. I know I have. And you see it happening. So, as I'm, as I'm speaking about some of these things, maybe the Holy Spirit will be speaking to your heart and all I'm saying is if you give him just a little permission, he'll synchronize that connection, man. He'll do amazing things and that is very important. So I'm gonna read the prodigal son. I'm gonna read it to you and then we're gonna talk about that. And I want you to think about not the perspective that's often taught about the two sons, although that's very important. I want you to think about and hear the father's side of it. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them, and every time I read this, I get, <laughs> oh man, maybe I just need to pray. Maybe uh, the Lord's ministering to my heart, so maybe he's ministering to yours too. And Lord, I just pray uh, right now that as you, as people, as we hear your living word, that you would transform our hearts 
and if we've made our vows, if we've hardened our hearts in any way, that you would, by your supernatural love, speak and break through and open up and connect us with you. In Jesus' name. The younger said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Oh man, it's such a beautiful picture. And that's our father's heart for us. That's, that's, that's it. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He had, it, he had his speech all figured out. But the father said to the slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. This is such a powerful picture, man, of our father's heart. And I, I believe with everything in me, guys, that during these times, our hearts can get disconnected. The enemy can lie to you, can lie to me. We get busy, we get caught up in hurriedness, and we miss the Father's heart for us. And uh, the thing that's so powerful is think about what he did. In, in his day, he was a man of stature and wealth, this man. So some scholars say in order for him to run after his son, he would have had to take off his robe and not be naked. I'm sure he had at least a loincloth on under there or something, but I'm sure he probably had those short pants or something, you know? But he had to run. 
And that's embarrassing and degrading for a man of his stature. No one would do that. But our father would. Amen? He runs after us. And so much blocks us. How could he love me? Look what I've done. Or maybe I was, I've never done anything wrong. And, and, and what, what, what's wrong with me? Why can't I connect with him? I don't know. But I know this. He runs after us. And he waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. Dan, Pastor Dan said something very powerful. He said, neither son put the father first, did they? They put themselves first. Their perspective was on them and not the father, and so they weren't able to see it. And, you know, the young son squandered everything. The older son did all the work, but they still didn't have their father's heart first. And the father was, he didn't even listen to the son's dissertation, man. He didn't even listen. He didn't even say, yeah, yeah, you kind of screwed me over pretty bad. Could have. You know, that son that took that from him, give me what's mine now, it's essentially like saying, I'd rather you be dead. That's what I want, my inheritance. And the older son, I've done all this. And he didn't say you didn't kill a fatted calf so I could celebrate with you. He goes, so I could celebrate with my friends. The father has ne- was never even part of it, yet the Father's heart is, I love you, man. (laughs) Come to me. I love you. I'm not angry. Man, it's so powerful when we see it that way. So uh, there's there's some things I just want to say quickly about this, and I've entitled this the first first things first, putting first things first. So the first thing I want to mention about that is When we lose our love, lost love, cold love, lost love distorts our perspective. That's the first thing. And an important thing about having the right perspective at this time is, like I just mentioned, it's knowing the Father's heart for us. Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's a powerful chapter, and it starts off with the blessings if we follow the Lord with a good good heart and a, and a, a, a... heart that wants to obey and love him, all these blessings come. And then it says, but if you don't do that, all these curses. Now let me preface this by saying we're not under, we are not cursed. Jesus became a curse for us. We are set free from the curse. Amen? Set free. But we can live as though we're still under a curse. I know I have by not thinking right by getting my perspective mixed up. And it always, for me, 100% of the time, comes back to that disconnect with my Father's heart, every time. Well, buried in the middle of Deuteronomy 28 is an amazing little statement, because he's saying all these things. Curse will you, first it's blessed will you be when you come in, blessed will you be when you go out, your children will be blessed, your house will be blessed. Read it, it's powerful. Then it says, but if you don't, here's this. But in the middle of all that, it says, because you did not serve me, with joy and an abundance heart of, uh, excuse me, with joy and gladness for the abundance of all things. <laughs> and then it keeps going on. Man, you're going to be, you're going to live under a curse because of that. It's not the works. You see what I mean? It's not that. It's the, I love you, Father, with joy and gladness for the abundance of all things. One of our one of my friends the other morning at our little men's group, which, by the way, we have a men's group on Wednesday morning. If any guys want to come, we have coffee and talk and pray together. It's been really, really life-giving. But we were talking about, you know, starting our day off and putting God first, this whole thing. 
And he said, some of us can look at that and say, yeah, here's my list, and what do I need to do? And that's all fine and dandy, but this guy, my friend said, it's more like this to me, Rob. Like I wake up and I look at the, I'm praying, Lord, what are we doing today together? As a father and a son. See the difference? It's a father and a daughter. I want to be with you today. This is going to be an adventure, man. We're going to have a different perspective if you connect with me like that. Isn't that true? It's It's the truth. But we get all busy, man. We get really busy and distracted, confused. And Jesus said clearly, like Janelle reminded us, I don't want you to be misled. I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to know because I love you and I'm telling you these things. Okay, the second point. First one, lost love distorts our perspective. Second point, lost love puts our focus on our works rather than than the Lord, than our Father. We start to focus on that more. And it's interesting because in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, Jesus is speaking now to the churches, and he has something to say to each one of them. But you know what the first thing he says to this church? You've done all this stuff. I'm paraphrasing. You've done all this stuff. And I see it, and I respect it. You do this, you've done that, you've, you've endured, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. He could have said anything else. You didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't do this, but he says, you've left your first love. Repent, turn back. And you, you and I know what that means. Pastor Dan helped us to understand a powerful definition of repentance. It's changing our mind after an encounter, an experience with the Lord. Based on love, not duty. You cha- it's changed. We're transformed when that happens. So powerful. Then we see things right. Janelle said this. It's not about your list. It's about what I can carry into eternity. And that, I submit, is, is love. It's love. I love you, Lord. Not that we don't do good works on, on earth. I want to, man. I want to do those things, but it's, it's always based on love. Peter said this, Pastor Peter uh, said this, when we walk in the freedom that Jesus gives us, many times the people who are living by their works will hate you for it. Because <laughs> they see it. That's what the Pharisees did. I'm not calling those people Pharisees, but they, they were living in the works, and they'd see the freedom that Jesus would bring. He'd come in and he'd sit down with prostitutes and drunkards and people that were tax gatherers and hated and he'd love them and he'd say I I don't judge you either just come with me man follow me love me all right the third point love excuse me lost love messes up our priorities so lost love distorts our perspective lost love puts our focus on our works rather than Jesus and lost love messes up our priorities and what I mean by this is I think when I'm in that place where my heart is, is not as connected, uh, I, I get caught up with the urgent things more than the important things. You guys know what I mean by that? There's so many urgent things. And we will be consumed by the urgent if we don't intentionally stop and go, is this really important right now? What's more important? And the Lord, I believe, wants us to do that, to stop and think about it. What's important, man? There's a true story about a man, uh, well, I'm going to say the true story about Jesus first, actually. <laughs> That's a true story, too. One of the, that I think illustrates this, and it's when Jesus was with his friends, 
And somebody comes along and says, hey, your friend Lazarus is dying. He's sick. He's going to die. Come and heal him. You guys remember that story? Do you remember what Jesus did? He stayed three extra days. Thank you. Oh, two days? We were both wrong. <laughs> hey, by the way, we try our best to be right scripturally, but if we mess up, please forgive us and come talk to us. I, I, we are by no means scholars, uh, and we're going to mess up. But two days. I said three days yesterday. I thought it was four. I should have read it. I thought I did read it. <laughs> I thought I read that scripture. Anyway, this is, don't get caught up in the details. Two days he stayed. He stayed two extra days. Which would have said to those people, why didn't you come with us now? This is urgent. He's going to die. And he stayed there two extra days. And then he gets there. You should read it for yourselves. And he gets there. And people are saying the same thing. Jesus, if he would have just been here, he would, wouldn't be dead. Now he's been in the tomb two days and he stinks. He's, it's terrible. And Jesus, it's, this, it tells the story. Jesus looks around and people are weeping. And then it says Jesus wept with them. So he was, I, I believe, not only just sad by his, just the death of his friend and empathizing with all the people, but he also, I think there was a part of him that was sad because they didn't see the bigger picture. And he was about to show him the bigger picture. I'm going to call Lazarus out of the tomb, and he's going to be raised from the dead, which is what he does with us, amen? He raises us up from the dead. That was the more important thing. It wasn't that he got healed. But see, you don't hear that unless you spend time with your father, which is what Jesus did. Right? That's the example we see. He spent time. He said, I do nothing other than what I hear my father say and see what he does. He spent time. And therefore, he knew it was important, even when the other people had no concept of what was important. Caught up in the urgent. Uh, there's a true story about a man named Charles Schwab, and I don't believe it's the Charles Schwab with the financial, what would you call that, conglomerate? Is that right? Conglomerate? Uh, not that Charles Schwab, just down the road there, but this Charles Schwab was a very wealthy man. He owned Bethlehem Steel at the time, and this is 1920. And he, uh, he met with this man named Ivy Lee, who at the time was a very successful organizational planner. He was a genius, and he, I believe he was responsible for helping with the entire uh, uh, Alaska Pipeline project. He managed that. It's hard for me to just manage one day at a time. Can you imagine managing the Alaska pipeline? <laughs> Get that pipe over here. We need $7 billion. Over. I mean, he was good. And so they had lunch, and Charles Schwab said, hey, if you can help me to get more work done in my day, I will pay you whatever is reasonable. And Ivy Lee just looked at him. Now, he could have handed him a big book on time management. You ever see some of this stuff out there? It's not, nothing wrong with it, man. I started reading. I'm like, oh, man, I am... I'm screwed here. I'm not going to make this. I am uh, buried. There's so many parts to organizing. Well, he said, take out a slip of paper and write one through six. And the first thing you write down, make that be the most important thing for the day. And then number two, second one, right, in order, of importance. But then he said this. He said, don't go to number two until you finish number one. Don't go to number three until you finish number two. I don't know about you, but my, 
My to-do list is about 70 things on it, and I go from 1 to 17, back to 21, over to 30. I just, I get confused. But I'm trying my best to follow this because what is, what is the essence of this? First things first. Do the most important thing first. Well, Charles Schwab did it, and he wrote a letter back about a month later after they're having lunch together, and he, and he said, this has been the most life-changing thing I've ever done in my life. Thank you so much. And he sent him a check for $25,000 in the 1920s, which is a lot of money. Even now, it's a lot of money. What would it be now? A quarter of a million or something? At least 30,000, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, with inflation, I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it funny how money can change like that? It's just all, who knows, man. Wow. <laughs> um, but I want to say this, too, as I kind of close up, wrap up here. What, what impacted me about this personally is uh, years ago, I was uh, living in Phoenix with our family. We had four kids at the time, and I hated my job. I was in a campus ministry for 24 years at the time, and I was miserable. I'd literally come home, and uh, after everything was done, I'd, uh, I'd go outside and just lay. Remember our, our, uh, our mailbox was this big, massive mailbox. I love that mailbox. And I would just lay on it and just weep and cry because I didn't know what the heck was going on. Well, one day I come home and I walked into the house and, you know, it was normal to smell the beautiful scent of poopy diapers in our home at that time because we had lots of little kids. And Amy was working very hard to do all that. And, but here's my point. I would get caught up. As soon as I got home, the kids would come running and things would be broken and they need this, they need this. And I got caught up in all that. And a lot of times it was disciplinary stuff. Dad had to take care of issues, you know. So I was so, my selfish side was getting just beaten to death because I wanted to just have a relaxing time in the afternoon. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but here's my point. I was missing something with that. And I felt the Lord speak to my heart and he said, son, when you come home, this is how practical it can be. Instead of getting caught up with all the kids, which is important, Say hi, greet him, but then go spend time with your wife and listen to her. I wasn't doing that. I was trying to fix everything. And uh, as I did, here's what happened. The kids got frustrated with me at first because they were like, Daddy. I would greet them, I'd love them, but then I would go and see my wife. And here's what happened. Supernatural peace came on our home because our kids saw me honoring what I believe is God's priority. Can you pull up the priority checklist? I call it the template. Is that it? Yeah, there it is. Oh, you redid it. You redid that. It looks better. Thank you. So this is just a little template. I'm sure some of you have seen this before, but this has helped me so much in terms of priorities. What's important, right? It's a template. And notice I'm saying it's quality of relationship. So you have God, yourself, your spouse, if that applies, family, church, and the world. And the reason this is so powerful is because, and I know it's linear and it's simplified here, but just see the essence of it. The heart behind it is the quality of my relationship with God gives me the, the strength and the perspective and the power to see myself right, to love myself, to take care of myself, not to beat myself up and hate myself, which gives me the strength and the right perspective to love my wife if I have one which then gives me the right perspective to see and love my family. And then that allows me to bring that into the church and the fellowship, the relationships I have. 
and then the world, my job, and, and loving others, all of that. But see, if we get that confused, at least for me, I, I get all discombobulated with that, and it doesn't go very well. While our kids saw me honoring, trying my best to honor what the Lord was saying works, and peace came. Not perfect every day, but you could feel it, couldn't you? It was a tangible sense of God's grace. Pastor DJ said this, God blesses us with his peace when we put him first. And it's not a to-do list. It's more of the relationship. What are we doing today, Dad? Father, what, what are we doing? This is exciting. I want to be connected to you. So our, our lost love can mess up our priorities. And Recently, you guys know this too, over the last couple of years, I've had several accidents happen. <laughs> I almost cut these two fingers off on this hand with a table saw. Uh, they were, it was bad. And then uh, about a month and a half after that, I got bit in the face by a Rottweiler. I was robbing a bank. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I, I was watching a dog, and he was a nice dog. His name was Axel. He was like a 150-pound dog, beautiful dog, well-trained. He was not mean, but I, I just wasn't paying attention, got too close to his face. And he, <clears throat> just one second, literally severed my lip Remember that, DJ? You guys saw it. It was like that long. It went all the way, and it went, his fang went into my cheek and severed nerves in my cheek. To this day, it's still numb. I could eat a razor blade, and I wouldn't even feel it. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I would never do that. Uh, but then, like a couple months after that, I'm walking, because I wasn't paying attention. I was in a hurry, very busy, and I slip on black ice, fly in the air, land on the shoulder, fracture it, and rip three tendons out, and had to have a major... T <laughs> Why are you laughing? That was painful, man. She's laughing. No, I, I don't blame you. I started laughing. I'm going, what the... What in the world is happening? Well, here's what I'm saying. I was so busy in all of this stuff. We were trying to sell our house, and just... You know how stressed it just gets you. And I'm running by my favorite chair one morning. I had this leather chair in, my, in our family, remember, sweetie? And I could look out the front and look out the back at the same time and I'd have coffee and I'd spend time with the Lord there. And one morning I distinctly remember, I felt it, man, and I, I stopped in my tracks. I just felt the Lord say, man, I miss our time together. <laughs> and I just broke down. I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. I've, I've been disconnected. I'm not, I'm busy. There are busy times in our lives. I get it, man. We are busy. But we, I think, I really believe God wants us to know what's important. Amen? He wants us to. I just want to take a moment and pray, and I'm, I, I want to bring this back to the Father's heart for us. And I'm going to pray, maybe if you feel yourself disconnected in that way or whatever, you're busy, there's no condemnation. Just open our hearts up to what the Lord's saying. He'll show you, and it will be life-giving. It will be transformational every time. It's never, yeah, you didn't do this, and you didn't do that. It's more of just the Father's heart. I, I think of the love that that woman, remember the woman that went to Jesus, he found him in, in some Pharisee's house having lunch, and she knew what he had done. And he's sitting there, and, it, and she got behind him and was weeping and wetting his feet 
with her tears and wiping them with his hair. And she was a prostitute, man. Think of the scandalous view of that. And they even said that. If this man was a prophet, he would know what this woman is like. She didn't care. She's weeping, man, because of why. She knew he loved her, and he didn't judge her. He ended by saying, this woman whose sins are many, she's forgiven, man. So, Lord, we pray. Lord, I pray that we would just go to a place in our hearts right now where you would remind us of what's important with you and, and our love for you. I pray for anyone here that's been so busy and beaten down with heaviness and maybe guilt and uh, pain. Maybe there's been a disconnect. Maybe we've blocked you out. Maybe we've made a, 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 an inner vow. Lord, I pray you would do your mighty work right now and open our hearts. And, and if you're listening to me now, you would even say, I give you permission, Lord. I give you permission to touch that part. I've blocked it for a long time. I've been afraid. I thought you were mad. I thought you were going to give me a, a, a bunch of other things to work on or whatever. Lord, I pray you would bring your life, your peace, your, your love to every heart here. Lord, once we see the Father's heart for us, we can see the end times in a much different way. And we can live our lives on earth in the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing the kingdom of God wherever we walk because of Christ the hope of glory. So I pray for that, Lord, that you would do that work, synchronize our hearts back to yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.